All right. Well, guys, I started, um, I came on staff here at Family of Grace, Super Bowl Sunday of 2018. And I've had more conversations with homeless people. Okay, we've got a, Alex, do you want to advance me to the right slide? Oh, a couple minutes? Okay. It's a picture of a homeless uh, little shelter that was put on our back patio uh, this week. I got to go wake up some people and say, you can't camp here. I've had more conversations with homeless people in the last four and a half years than in the entirety of my life up to that point combined. And it's good. And I've learned, I have learned a lot. And in my experience, others might argue with me, but here on the corner of 124th and Burnside, I've come to the conclusion that the people who live on the streets have chosen to be here. Now, let me nuance that because I, I talk to them. And I say, have you guys thought about getting into a shelter? And with 100%, you know, um, consistency, they have answered, ah, it's not really for me. Because maybe the shelter makes them feel claustrophobic. Maybe they're worried that their stuff will be stolen in the shelter. Maybe um, for whatever reason, they would rather sleep on a concrete slab in our backyard than to go into one of these shelters. And talking with one, uh, some of them, I've finally come to realize that for most of them, what keeps them on the street is some sort of substance, be it drugs or, or alcohol. And then I, I've grown in my understanding. Because it's not just that they're addicted, sure. But it's that, it's that their life is so full of pain. They hurt so badly. They've suffered such trauma that it is better, it is easier. These substances help them to cope with life. It's their lifeline. It's what helps them just make it through the day. And so to say, go to a shelter, you just got to cut this stuff out of your life would be like saying, hey, wouldn't you guys like to go live in this lovely place? We just need you to stop breathing for 24 hours. And you're like, well, I mean, it would be nice, but it's not worth it. And at the end of the day, they've, they've chosen to be here because they would rather have this life as messy and terrible and broken as it is than the alternative. And then I realized something, and that is that we are all just like them. Humanity as a general, that we live in a world that is broken, that is messy, that, it, that is full of, of pain and destruction. And the sad reality is that we people have chosen that we would rather live under these conditions than to live in the alternative. See, this morning, oh, we're still working on that. Our, our series is called Blessings and Cursings, uh, Blessing and Rebellion. We're going through the first five books of the Bible and we're looking at God's desire to bless humanity and humanity's consistent refusal to be blessed on God's terms. See, we all make the choice that we would rather live as we are, getting to decide for ourselves what is good and what is right, with all the baggage and brokenness that comes with it, rather than turn and trust God that He knows what's good for us and, and to follow in His way. I have a confession to make. It's not their fault. I forgot to upload my slides this morning. All right. Yes! 
And if you guys ever wondered, yes, administration is loving people. So um, these fine details. All right, we're going to make a go of it. But give me a second. How? All right, this one's on me. Yeah, we, we can do that. We can do that. And that might be the best, easiest thing. All right. Well, you guys uh, stood up and greeted each other for five minutes. If you're online, I apologize. Again, this one's my mistake. Would you guys just take five more minutes, and we're going to get these slides up and going. And uh, Alex, thank you for trying to, you know, fix a problem that you could not possibly have solved. So hooray for tech team. All right. I'll see you guys in five. We're back in business. Thank you, tech team. And uh, you know what a perfect morning to talk about how things are broken, <laughs> people and technology included. All right. There we go. So there's a campsite. And of course, you know, the question when you look around the world and at ourselves is like, why? Like, why does everything that we chase after fail to satisfy us? Every relationship climbing the corporate ladder, getting the bigger home, the bigger car, the nicer boat, having a better phone, having people know our names, being popular. And yet we get there and maybe for a while, maybe for a while we really are satisfied and then, and then things grow stale. And why is it so hard to get along with people? We long for relationships. We want to get to know people. And then, you know, once that honeymoon period wears off, man, people are rough. We can't live with them, but we can't really live without them. What do we do? And why does it seem that everything is always working against us? Case in point, how much effort has to go into simply maintain the status quo? Why does everything always seem to be going backwards and you have to work so hard to make any progress? And why are we broken? Why are we not the people that we want to be? Why is the world so broken? There's famine, there's disease, there, there's cancer, there's, you know... Bad children's cartoons that aren't as good as when we grew up. Like, whatever it is, you know, why is the world so broken? Yeah, I totally agree. I Say it for a reason. Yeah, welcome. Why are things so broken? And the Bible has a great answer to that. And also the question, more important than any of them, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Because if the world came into existence out of nothing for no reason, then there is no hope. Save that one day I'll, I'll die and get to forget about all my pain. No, is there any actual hope? And that brings us to Genesis uh, chapter 3, mostly, in the last verse of 2. If you want to open your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along with me. But we begin with the story of, of man and woman in paradise. For, for two weeks now, going through the Bible story, we have got to enjoy the good. The good that God has created, that the world was was created by a, a good God who ordered things, and things are good and they're right and they're perfect. This God loves humanity. He created man and woman in his image to steward and rule and reign over creation. And then God prepared a special place with abundant food where we can live in harmony with God and with one another. We were created for relationships, and things are really, really good. And the only thing that wasn't good is that at first the woman wasn't around. And God says, despite all my good creation, it's not good, man, that you're alone. Let me take care of your problem. And so he ushers the woman to the man, God, the original matchmaker, 
And the man bursts into song. I said, it's like Etta James and her song, At Last, My Love Has Come Along, My Lonely Days Are Over, and Life Is Like a Song. Only, you know, in ancient Hebrew, it was something along the lines of, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And we read that Adam, it's a Hebrew word for man, that the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now there's a wordplay here, a Bible footnote told me, that the word naked and the word crafty are the same. We have these in English too, that we call them homonyms, words that sound alike, are spelled alike, but mean totally different things. I go to the garden and I smell the rose and I look over at the birthday party and I watch as the balloon rose off the ground. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are spelled and pronounced exactly the same, but they mean very, very different things. So I can do it. Drink my can of soda. So crafty and naked, and and this wordplay is important. It'll come up later in the story. All right, our tech guys are continuing to work on things. There we go. Oh, too far. Now the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman replied, ah, a talking snake. (laughs) Like, are we so used to reading this story that doesn't strike us as strange? Apparently not. I don't know why, but apparently this serpent can talk. And he's asking a question about God's goodness. Did God really say Is God really unreasonable? Is he stingy? Is he he cruel to put you in this fantastic orchard of a place with all of these luscious fruit trees and deny you access to any one of them? Did God really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, if we've been reading attentively, a couple questions pop into our mind. First of all, the woman doesn't quite get it right. Because back in chapter 2, God says, you may freely eat of any tree in the garden. The woman takes the freely part out. And she's like, well, we can eat it, I guess. And then she adds this extra clause. She says, we can't, we, of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it or we'll die. And we wonder, where did you get that idea? God didn't say that. He says, just don't eat it. And so we have a serpent talking to a woman in a garden, questioning the goodness of God. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here, the serpent just flat out, contradicts what God says, you won't die. In fact, God is holding out on you. He's keeping you from your full potential. He's, he's trying to keep you down when, if you did this, you could be lifted up. You could be like him. You could be like God, knowing good and evil yourself. Wouldn't that be good? And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for the food, And pleasing to the eye, I mean, of course it was, all the trees in the garden created by God were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She sees something 
in this fruit tree. She didn't notice before. She took and she, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Apparently Adam was there the whole time and said nothing. Huh. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. Serpent got that much right. And they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Uh Uh-oh. We thought we wanted this, and when it arrived, we realized maybe this isn't actually what we wanted. She thought she was getting the knowledge of good and evil, and by that, I imagine, she thought knowledge of the good. But when they eat of the fruit, they get knowledge of the evil. And they were naked, and they were unashamed, and now, oh, now they're exposed. Now they're shamed. Now we, we have to cover ourselves up from one another and hide because there's something about me I don't want you to see now. How far and how quickly we have fallen. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now the Bible footnote says, or in the wind of the day. Some people think that means, you know, like here in the Northwest, the, the breeze picks up, picks up in the afternoon. But it could be they hear the sound of the Lord God walking and it sounds like a storm. Think about that. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. First they hide from one another. Now God comes and they're hiding from him. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Abigail, do you think God knew where they were? Yeah, Yeah, I, I do too. He's pretty smart. And they have no practice at hiding yet. (laughs) But the God who says on the day you eat it, you will certainly die. He doesn't come in anger, at least. He comes with a question. Where are you? And he, the man, answers. He says, I heard you in the garden and, and I was afraid. Because I was naked. And so I hid. I don't know if this sounds familiar to you, but one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, disappeared one day, and I went looking for them. And I searched the house high and low. Couldn't find them anywhere until I opened up a closet. And my innocent child is hiding in the closet with cookie crumbs all over their face. And I wondered, who told you to hide? No one. They figured it all out on their own. I was afraid. I was shamed. I was exposed. I hid. And so God says, who told you that you were naked? How'd you find that out? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? What did you do? And the man said, oh, the woman! The first time a guy is throwing a woman under the bus. (laughs) The woman you put here with me. It's her fault. No, and yours. She, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and, and I ate. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you tried to confront somebody and they went instantly to denial and blame shifting? Yeah, it's as old as sin itself. And so the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? 
And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. He tricked me, and, and I ate. The woman's deceived. The man, apparently, he just went for it. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. He doesn't give that serpent time to talk at all. Cursed are you. Cursed. It's the opposite of blessed, which is the only thing we've seen God do up until this point. If I can be frank, damned are you. Above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Eat dirt, literally, figuratively. And I'm going to put enmity. All right, when was the last time we all used that in a sentence? But yeah, exactly. What is enmity? Precisely. Now, other translations, hostility, enemy ship, a feud, war, bad blood. You will be at odds perpetually. I'm going to put that mess between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Again, this word is actually the same. He's going to crush your head. You're going to crush his heel. And if we're talking about a poisonous snake, this is a mutual destruction. But notice, there's enemy ship hostility, bad blood between the offspring, so the line or, or the person from the woman and from the serpent. There's two lines that are going to be from here. But one day there's someone who's going to come that's going to destroy not the line of the serpent, but the serpent himself. He's going to get it. All right. And to the woman, God said, I'm going to make your pain in childbearing or conception very severe. With painful labor, you're going to give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband, and he's going to rule over you. You guys are going to be at odds and at each other's throat from here on out. You're going to try to to dominate him, and he's going to dominate you. And it's not going to be good. And to the man, to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Adam, you weren't listening to me. You listened to her instead. You disobeyed me when I told you, don't do this. Cursed is the ground. Because even, even in judgment, God's mercy is great. He never curses the man and woman. He curses the ground because of them. Cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We've heard some of this language. At the beginning of chapter 2, when there was no man to work the ground, and no plants of the field had yet come into being. As a story about the blessings that God provided for humanity, but it foreshadows the curse. Because now there's a man to work the ground who will eat the plants of the field, who will now die. You came from the dust. You're going to go back to the dust. 
And everything just got bad real quick. And Adam and his wife, who were both naked and unashamed, are now naked and exposed, trying to hide. And the serpent, who was more crafty than any other beast of the field, is now cursed above every other beast in the field. There has been a massive undoing. And humanity made a choice and and didn't like the consequences. As one person said, you can pick up one end of the stick. The other end of the stick comes with it, like it or not. What irony. That those who are already in the image of God, already in his likeness, broke the world because they tried to become like God on their own terms. Oh, that tricky serpent. If you do this, you will become like God. And she forgot for a moment that she already was. We talked last week about in order to stay in God's presence and provision, you have to obey his commands. And of course, we wonder what is going to happen next. And so we learned from our story this morning, the world is broken because people choose what is good for themselves instead of trusting what God says is good for them. It's about trust. It's about who are we going to listen to? Whose opinion matters? And so like I said, we, we all, humanity, is just like the people who are on the street. We're all choosing what is good for ourselves. And you might be a very, very nice couple in a wonderfully nice suburban home with a perfect lawn and a perfect family and perfect teeth. And people wonder, like, how, how could they be anything bad? And the question is, it's not so much their badness, it's that they're making the choice everyone else is. They've just defined what is good for themselves. Happens to be rather vanilla-flavored. You know, it's not too bad, but, but they don't want to listen to what God has to say about what is good. We're all making this choice for ourselves, and the world breaks, and our relationships break. We're going to see this pattern over and over as we go through the biblical story. People see, she saw the fruit, and then she took it, and the things are going to go badly. We learn that when we turn from trusting God, all our relationships suffer, because again, last week we said we were made for relationships with God, with each other, with creation, and in this story, all the relationships get broken. Creation now bears thorns and thistles. This is enter into work that is now futile. This is why everything seems to go backwards all the time. This is why all of our work seems to be just spent trying to keep up the status quo. The cleanliness of my living room is a living example of the curse on a daily basis. So my wife's mother said, you know, keeping a house clean is like stringing, necklaces, stringing beads on a necklace with no knot at the end. Just off they fall. And whether you're in landscaping, whether you're dealing with actual weeds or farming all the time, or you just wonder, like, why? Why are things so hard? And it seems like all of my work just is destroyed in just a minute. It's because we turn from trusting God and with one another. You know, the world is nice, thorns and thistles. Relationships are beautiful. And, and we weren't ashamed to be fully known. And now we hide and we separate and we argue and we fight. And it's like each of us have thorns on our skin that make anyone who gets close to us bleed. And of course, when this levels up to the level of nations, we enter into war and conflict with one another. 
We need relationships, and yet we're really, really bad at maintaining them in peace. And of course, things end in death. If someone were to knock me unconscious against their will, I would say that I have been assaulted. And so when death comes and against my will will take me and lay me in the grave, against my will, it is a burglar, a robber, and a thief. The story of the Bible is that death is an intruder upon creation. It is not natural. It was not here from the beginning. And so when we feel robbed when our loved ones are taken from us, that is a good, a good feeling. God did not intend this to happen. This is what we have done because we would rather live in a world on our own terms than be blessed by God on his. And here in this, this story, I think we learned that sin is a breaking of relationship. I like that so much better than a breaking of the law because you all know people who can do the letter of the law and hurt you at the same time. It's not enough to say, oh, it's just they disobeyed. Sin is when we break relationship with one another because we are meant to be in relationship. And we also learn God is faithful with his promises for bad. Now here's the hope, also for good. See, in the center of our story, we had, we had God calling to the man, where are you? What did you do? And then God calling to the woman, and then God speaking to the serpent. And then back to the woman and back to the man. So the serpent thing is right in the center and we should pay attention. Because there's a promise that one day there will come someone, someone who will destroy the source of evil in the world, who, who will crush it, who will make that snake eat the dirt for the last time. And Adam gets it. And so Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Or really, I could say, Adam has renamed his wife. We're used to hearing Adam and Eve all the time. But up until this point in the story, her name was woman, not Eve. In light of the promise of God that from her salvation for the world, or at least the hint of hope, would come, Adam says, you are now named life, living. Through you comes the hope of the world that we have broken. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them because those fig leaves, they're just not cutting it. And perhaps, you know, God spoke clothes into existence, but I think here we have the very first instance of an animal dying to cover the shame of a human. A sacrifice was made. And God willingly did it to cover over the sin of people so that they will not be exposed anymore. God is still caring for these people who've disobeyed him. And the Lord God said, the man's now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. This has happened. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. This is the New International, and it's fine, but I like the way the English Standard and other translations show Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. What? This is the only unfinished sentence that God speaks in the Bible. And we're left to wonder, what would happen if people could live forever in their fallen state? But apparently, it was something bad enough God didn't want us to experience it. 
And so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out, and he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Fire and angelic beings, a barrier now to keep between humanity and eternal life. And so we learn that access to eternal life is blocked. Why? Because of humanity's failure to listen to and obey the Lord God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And humanity moves east of Eden. John Steinbeck didn't come up with that. In the Bible, if you're reading and people are moving to the east, they are always moving away from God. It's not a good direction to be going. And so we learn, again, that the world is broken because people choose what is good for themselves instead of trusting what God says is good for them. And yet there is hope. From the offspring of the woman, one will come who will destroy evil at its core. And the world will be healed when the promised son arrives. Who will be destroyed by evil and yet destroy it himself. So the rest of us can be healed from the curse and the fall. And redemption may yet come on God's good earth. And until then, the line of the woman and the line of the snake will have bad blood between them and be opposed to each other. So to fast forward in the story, a few thousand years, you have a guy named John the Baptist calling out to people, you brood of vipers, you offspring of the serpent, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? It's not a bloodline, it's a metaphorical line, it's a faith line, really. Those who will trust God and those who want to decide for themselves. So in summary, there's still hope, though the world is broken. So here's, I have three ways I'd like us to respond. One, I'd like us to mourn, to just be sad about the brokenness of the world, the presence of death, and the brokenness of our relationship. It's okay to cry sometimes. Again, I found out our our neighbor passed away this morning, and and it's sad. We want it better for him. Trying to prepare our kids for the fact that when they grow older, at some point, this little kitten that has been brought into their life will die. And my kids are beginning to experience what grief and tragedy feel like. You guys know better. This is not the world as it should be. This is the world under a, a curse. And it's okay to be sad about it. But unlike Adam and the woman who hide themselves, who experience shame and cover themselves from one another and hide themselves from God, let's do different. Let us repent of our sins and trust in God. And repentance, it's a word we use as Christians. It just means to turn around. It means to quit living life according to what we think is good ourselves and to say, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to listen to what you say is good even if it doesn't feel good to me right now at this moment. And so one of the things we do is we confess our sins. We come into the light. We, we expose ourselves in all of our brokenness and evil to one another. And we experience the forgiveness of God and the, and the forgiveness that we, we offer to our fellow, to, to one another because of what Jesus has done for us. And we learn that we can actually live in the light. We don't have to hide anymore. And we trust in Jesus. We, we follow him. Jesus is the one who, again, spoiler alert in the story, he's going to lead the way back to the tree of life for us. He's going to offer us eternal life. It comes through him. He's going to deal with the serpent permanently and forever one day. We can trust in him. And we can hope in him.
because he's coming back. Jesus, who defeated the serpent by letting it kill him, opens our way back to eternal life in God's presence forever. And so may we mourn, may we mourn all that is broken and repent of our sins and trust God. And may we wait in hope for Jesus' coming. Let's pray. Father, what a sobering thing to realize that we have um, chosen the world that we live in. Everyone has. God, how easy it is to see what is good for ourselves. And we think, we think this is the answer. And yet, God, our, our lives prove that we're actually pretty bad at figuring out what's going to ultimately make us happy. And we make what we think is the right choice. We make what we think is the right choice. And we end up finding ourselves in, in misery and bad company. And we wonder, where did things go wrong? And perhaps the answer is things were wrong from the beginning because we weren't listening to you. God, thank you for the story. Thank you for being the kind of God that just, God, you don't cut off relationship just because we disobey you. You are more patient with us in our weaknesses and our sins than we even know. But Father, I just ask for your forgiveness. I thank you that through your son, the story didn't end, that there was hope that was on offer. And Lord, we are awaiting a son to come who's going to rescue and redeem all things. We know his name because we're happy to live on this end of the story. His name is Jesus. But God, would you help us to live as a new kind of people, created in your image to do good, to experience your presence and your provision forever by trusting you and by loving you. Lord, let us, let us trust you. Let us hope in your son. Forgive us for our sins. And God, please come and save this world. It desperately needs your salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.